Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, musicians, artists, you name it, all around the world of crypto and blockchain. And today I have an amazing guest. I'm really excited about this interview because it's only the second time I've interviewed somebody in this particular field, which is real estate. Um, his name is Joshua Kagan. He is the CEO of Bonfire. Joshua, welcome. Thank you, Jamil. It's an honor to be here. Honor to have you. Um, and uh, this is going to be great. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So um, Me yeah, too. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's start things off. Let's go ask you the first question is this, is what is your background? And is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Hmm. Oh, it depends on how far back we want to go because my career has been a bit circuitous. But I will say that um, I've spent the last 13, 14 years in prop tech and real estate. So uh, I was living in San Francisco working at a venture capital firm called Atlas Capital. Um, we were looking at Internet of Things and buildings, um, among other other things. And uh, Richard Branson, now Gore, had dinner. And Branson got really freaked out about climate change and wanted to do something entrepreneurial about it. And he created this funny company called the Carbon War Room. And he asked my boss, the managing partner of the fund, to be the COO of it. And he asked me to come along and run the Energy Efficiency and Buildings Division. And we are focused on investing in multifamily office hotel efficiency projects. Um, and I did that for four and a half years. We ended up getting acquired and I went to a startup called Clean Fund. Clean Fund is a specialty finance company that provides capital for renewable energy and energy efficiency projects and buildings. Very similar work that I was doing at the Carbon War Room. Um, I was our first external hire. We grew from, I don't know, about 1.8 million to 94 million in four years. It was a wonderful learning experience. And I left to start Bonfire. I should say that in 2011, I bought my first foreclosure. It was in the Berkeley Hills. It was phenomenally lucky timing. Um, it was, you know, I had to roll up my sleeves and become the general contractor and hire subs to, to figure out how to, you know, put in a new bathroom and, and fix the, the kitchen and all that and rented it out. And I started doing more of those. I bought another foreclosure. I started doing fix and flips. And then I started doing the burn method of buy, rehab, renovate, um, or buy, rehab, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, rent up and uh, refinance and built out a portfolio of single family rentals. So, you know, in 2020, um, I, I left, you know, kind of the corporate world and started Bonfire. And Bonfire was really born out of conversations I had with my friends who are in their 30s and 40s who want to own real estate, but can't because of student debt, because private equities bought up a lot of the housing supply, because in the last year, interest rates have doubled, right? And so we wanted to make it very easy for people to get on the real estate ownership ladder. And I felt like my story, you know, the fact that my stepdad was willing to lend me money in 2011 for the down payment on my first foreclosure put me on a trajectory of asset ownership that I don't know that I otherwise would have been able to do. And for most Americans, at least, the biggest source of wealth they'll ever have in their life is the home that they own. And we've just seen that generation after generation, the story of immigrants coming to this country, people working really hard, saving up, buying a house that you know goes up in value seven to 
you know, over a period of time, and then they, they hand it down to the next generation and the next generation now has the money to go to college or things of that nature. Right. So like wealth generation from, from real estate is a really big part of the American dream, but unfortunately it's becoming an American myth. And that's kind of what, what why we started bonfire. That makes sense. Um, I see that, you know, our biggest investment this past year has been in our house. So hopefully that'll pay off down the line, you know? Um, yeah. If you said a few things there, I have follow-ups for you. Um, and I want to first find out what I should tell you first, what the what bonfire is all about, what makes you a game changer in the real estate investment arena. And then I want to go into the bar method after that. Okay. So let's just talk about, you know, if someone wanted to, to own real estate right now, what their options are. And then I'm going to explain kind of what bonfire is. So if you have, you know, a hundred thousand plus, you could go and, you know, have a down payment in some secondary market um, and buy a house right now. Cause you're not, you're not with a hundred thousand dollar down payment, you're not buying anything in California or New York or Massachusetts, you know, I mean, Seattle areas, but there's, there's secondary and tertiary markets where you could, you know, that, that assumes that you qualify for a mortgage and things of that nature, but that's, you know, that's one option. Another is you could go out and buy our REIT, a real estate investment trust, which is a publicly traded company. There's private ones too, but where it's a corporation that owns a bunch of real estate. The problem with that is, is when you buy a REIT and let's say Simon Property Group is a great example of this, you know, which focuses on shopping malls, um, you know, you're paying the expenses of the CEO's salary his, his or her private jet and Madison Avenue office before you're getting any distributions. So in the case of David, David Simon is the CEO of Simon Property Group. He's made about $100 million over the last five years in salary. But if you had bought Simon Property Group five years ago, you bought $100,000 worth, it's probably worth 80 grand today, right? So it's, that has, that's not a great ex- investment for a lot of people. Um, or you can be an accredited investor um, and have the wealth to be, you know, to, to invest in direct syndicated deals, which oftentimes have minimums of $100,000, if not $250,000. So what Bonfire is, is think of us as like an investment club. We're a group of people, domestic, international, who come together and through blockchain, and we couldn't do this idea without blockchain, we basically tokenize, we chop up membership interests in LLCs. So let me back up. Let's say someone's raising money for... In fact, we just did this project. Uh, someone was raising money for a $60 million hotel repositioning project. He needed $32 million of equity. Um, we were able to take an allocation of it. And his traditionally, the, the minimums would be $100,000. We took an allocation. We put out to our community. But instead of a $100,000 minimum, we made it $2,000 minimums. We had 50 people buy from all over the world. Um, and you know, we were one check that went to the sponsor on their capital table, but we were able to enable all these people who otherwise probably wouldn't have been able to invest in this deal, access to this deal. And that's what Bonfire is. Don't, you said you got your investment, that 100,000 investment turned into 80,000, but the CEO of that Simon group made a hundred million dollars. Um, don't get me started on boomer theft. I can go on for days, <laughs> you know? Yeah, in, in in REITs, I mean, just to go off of, you know, to continue on the thread of REITs for a second, I know, um, you know, since you bring up David Simon and Simon Property Group, REITs, 
when people invest in REITs, they think that they're investing in real estate and they're not. I mean, that's just the reality. You're investing in operating a publicly traded company that owns real estate, but you know, you're, you're subject to the volatility of the stock market. So if you want real estate as an asset class to hedge against, you know, other assets, like more the volatility of the stock market and crypto, like then don't buy something that is the stock market, like buy actual real estate. And historically, it's been really hard for everyday people to own tangible real estate unless it's their primary home. And even that's becoming harder and harder for people to enter into the home buying market. So with you, you're able to directly buy pieces of real estate. Correct. Sounds good. Um, so we mentioned you mentioned the BRRR method earlier. And um, when I'm thinking of Burr, I think of the Fed money printing that happened a few years ago and still happens today, you know, um, where, you know, the, the common person who is investing in real estate didn't make money, but the C-suite did, right? So what's the Burr method? of what you're talking about and then how do you compare that? And then we'll get into the macro environment, you know, and the lay of the land and what that's, what the impact of that was. Yeah. So the Burr method to your point around, you know, so, so basically the fed by artificially keeping interest rates close to zero for as long as it did um, created one of the greatest asset bubbles and I'd say credit bubbles in human history. And so people like me were able to buy houses and lock in 30-year interest rates at 3%. So what I would do is I'd buy a single family house, you know, and on day one, I could get a tenant in there who's going to pay, call it a 7% cash on cash yield. But I'd lever this thing up, you know, as much as I could at a 3% debt. And so as long as I'm borrowing at 3 but I can get a yield of, of seven or eight, I'm making money all day long. And I just kept do I kept rinsing and repeating. Um, that strategy no longer works when interest rates are now, you know, the, the Fed, because they realize that they, you know, over and, you know, because of really stupid, stupid policy, monetary policy, and in keeping our interest rates as low as they did, they, in combination with our, our overstimulus, you know, created all this inflation. And now they're, have had to play catch up. And now we've, you know, in, in, increased rates more than, than we, you know, f- faster than we really needed to. If we had been taking a more holistic perspective and just increased rates gradually over the last 10 years, we wouldn't be in this position. But putting that aside, the Burr method of, you know, buying, I was buying all cash, fixing it up, renting it, and then doing these cash out refinances at very low interest rates, that no longer works. So I've stopped, I haven't done one of those in a year. Um, but it was it was a great strategy while while interest rates were you know were really really low. You mentioned real you mentioned you mentioned this interest rates right, and then you mentioned a couple other economic factors earlier macro macro factors earlier. You mentioned student debt. You met, mentioned the corporate buying of housing supply. You know what are some of those trends that you've experiencing um, that have been impacting both the commercial and the residential real estate sectors. Yeah, there are some major, major mega trends and, and macro, um, you know, indicators that we all need to be aware of. Let's talk about the residential side for a second. So since 2006, home builders have not, I'd say two, since 2007, home builders have not built as much supply as they did pre-financial crisis in 2008. 
So we have, it's estimated around a 4 million uh, house in lack of supply relative to demand, okay? So you also have millennials aging. Now, millennials are the largest um, population in U.S. history, bigger than the boomers. And you have 25 million people turning 30 in the next five years. Historically, when people turn 30 is when they're kind of entering their family formation years and they move away from apartments and dense core urban areas to the suburbs and they, they buy houses, right? So you have this huge sort of swell up, pent up demand that's going to be coming, that is, that is coming um, in the coming years. You also have this chronic undersupply of houses. Um, and on top of that, the supply is further constrained because of companies like Invitation Homes and others who have been you know, backed by private equity and Wall Street and hedge funds buying up hundreds of thousands of houses a year, right? So we have a massive in supply and you know supply demand equation that that if interest rates were to drop significantly, and again, I'm not an economist, you know, I could see a feeding frenzy for housing again. Um, you know, what's interesting is like in the last year, housing sales are down 25%, but both supply and demand are down 25%, if you think about it, right? So interest rates have gone up so much, it's so much less affordable to buy a house now. So demand is way down. But if you're someone like me and I have a house in Denver, my interest rate's 2.65 for 30 years. Like I cannot afford to leave this house, right? I'm stuck here for a very, very long time. And I think a lot of other people in that boat. So people can't, you know, to, to sell my house and to buy an equivalent home, my payment would be so much higher, right? So people would have to downgrade to keep their relative standard, you know, to, to keep their, their, their payments the same. And people just don't want to do that. So I think we have this big standoff in the market on the residential side. Um, and if inflation is is really coming down and interest rates were to drop, I could just see, you know, all this pent up demand coming in and people people buying up houses again. Um, on the commercial side is very different. And the reason why that is, is on the residential side, you know, because of Fannie and Freddie and, and the government programs, we can get 30 year debt. Commercial doesn't have that. Commercial debt terms are traditionally five to 10 years. And so what's happening right now is during the lush years of the last 10, 12 years, developers, sponsors, operators loaded up with as much cheap debt as possible, right? A lot of it was interest only, a lot of it, but it's short term, right? Three, five, seven, maybe 10 years. And that debt is rolling over right now, okay? It's gonna actually start hitting in mass in October of this year. But something like a trillion and a half dollars of debt is gonna roll over in the next three or so years. What does that mean in English, okay? What it means is, let's say you own an office building in San Francisco and you have $100 million of debt. And it's totally manageable right now because you have a 3% interest rate. It's interest only. You know, you're paying $3 million a year. At the time, it was leased to this tech company or that tech company. And they were paying, I'm just making up numbers, $5 million of rent. And you were good, right? The, the, the ratios were, were great. But with working from home, people aren't in the office as much, right? So occupancy is way down. But now my debt, which was 3%, is now going to become 7%. So I'm these building owners are now underwater. So what's going to happen? They're going to give the keys back to the lenders, right? The lenders are going to foreclose upon these assets. And we're going to start seeing phenomenal buying opportunities on the on, on the commercial real estate side. And that's what Bonfire is kind of set up to capitalize upon 
as this is happening. Because in 2008, if you had dry powder and you were Warren Buffett and some of these other people, while everyone else was panicking, you became extremely, extremely wealthy, right? And it's like that whole idiom of in Mandarin Chinese, the term for crisis is a combination of two characters, danger plus opportunity, right? And when everyone's else focused on the danger, those who can focus on the opportunity do really, really well. And that's what I think is coming on the commercial side. Interesting. Interesting. You said, um, yeah, I was thinking about like, I have, I, we have people who we know in our town who would like to sell their houses, right? Um, as far as the residential side, they like to sell their houses. Uh, but they say, where are we going to go? We get cash in this over the ask us, where are we going to go? We can't go anywhere. You know, um, luckily my wife and I are in a boat where we have a middle schooler and, and it's still elementary school and we're, we're staying. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, that is a challenge. And then the other challenge you said is you talked about inflation and inflation numbers came in this morning at 3.2%. I think they redefined the definition of inflation. I think it's higher if you look at prices in the supermarkets, right? Um, with those challenges and others, how do you help people overcome those challenges, you know, um, in, in both in both those sectors? And then especially given these trends and factors. It's a great question. And um, what comes to mind is I saw a bumper sticker once that said, you know, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Right. And to your point around the CPI. You know, the CPI is one of, but also the, the employment rate are two of the most manipulated numbers in, in existence, right? Because the CPI doesn't, they, they, they say that the core of it doesn't include, you know, volatile energy and food prices. Well, I don't know about you, but food and energy is a big part of my budget, you know, and most Americans, right? I mean, they just cherry pick what goes into what inflation is, right? So if you talk to like everyday folks they are like, my energy bills are going up, my food bills are going up, like my my rents are going up. I mean, you know, but inflation is only 3% now. So I don't know, I, I take these numbers with a big grain of salt. I think the way to, to help people is is honestly, like to give people education and tools and empower people to help themselves. Like, I'm not here to tell anyone what they should or should not do. I've happened to have done really well in real estate, as have my family and friends. And I, you know, I think that there's a lot to be learned and had with real estate, but it's not for everyone, you know, but I just want to at least empower people to know about it and decide for themselves whether it's a good, it should be part of their portfolio or not. But historically, you know, real estate has been held by the ultra rich and there's a myriad of, of, of tax shelters and ways in which you know, very wealthy people continue to stay wealthy through real estate, but that that knowledge of how it works, you know, I really want it to be disseminated to everyone. And how do you and 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 how do you propose to disseminate it to everyone? Well, I think it's through conversations like this, you know, and, and the bonfire platform. I mean, we really, you know, we're trying to put out a lot of content related to you know webinars and um, newsletter, not those blogs and, and, and AMAs and, and just really try to help people, you know, understand why getting on the real estate ownership ladder and owning real world assets, in addition to whatever assets they might own, you know, can be a really accretive part of their portfolio. For instance, like I have a lot of friends who have made, who continue to make good money in crypto and in various, I know we're in a, in a, in a bear market, but, you know, there's all kinds of other projects staking and, and, and different AI tools where people are, are making good money right now. And it's like, 
you know, being able to take some of those winnings and put it into something that gives them passive income, right? So that they're not so dependent upon the, the ups and downs, the volatility of crypto or stocks. And they can actually just put it into something that, you know, just continues to bring in money every month, you know? Um, and if, honestly, if it wasn't for my passive income, I couldn't do bonfire, right? Because passive income is money that comes in regardless of whether someone wakes up at six in the morning or 10 in the morning. And who wouldn't want that, right? And real estate is historically the most sort of effective way of, of gaining passive income. So, you know, when I tell people about passive income, they're like, oh, shoot, I can, I can do that. Like, I don't, you know, where would I even start? And it's like, well, you know, there's, there's ways of, uh, there's places to start. And Bonfire is one of several platforms that, that are offering this ability. Okay. So, so let's add this. I'm a common person. I don't know, for example, I don't know how to get involved. How do I come to your platform to get involved and make decisions to start investing in real estate so I can make that passive income? How do you help someone like who doesn't know? It really depends on like, okay, is this person a crypto native or not? Because if they are, I'd say like our Discord can be a good place to start. If not, which a lot of our customers are not, um, I call them the the crypto curious crowd, you know, people who aren't in liquidity pools, but they're also not, you know, my, my stepdad or Warren Buffett who think that it's like the scum of the earth. They're like somewhere in between, like they're sick of all the scams and rug pulls, but they're like, we know that blockchain is real. Um, I'd say come to our website, check out our learning center, reach out to me directly. Like I'm very accessible, you know, Joshua at bonfire.capital. I'm fully doxxed. You can find me on Twitter. You know, I, I encourage people to DM me. I do calls with our customers daily, you know, and just, just to learn about where people are at, what they're looking, what their interests are, because everyone can start. That's the beautiful thing. Like even someone who's listening to this right now, who has a thousand dollars of savings, you can start somewhere. And it's like, there's these methods, there's this something called the, the FHA loan, which is like a three, you put down 3.5% as a down payment and you get a, you get a government loan for 96.5% on your first house. Like there's, there's always somewhere to start, but the biggest obstacle is our minds and our beliefs in ourselves and our, and our limiting beliefs. And it's like, if we believe we can, we, we, we can't do something, then we won't. If we believe we can, then we will. Right. So I just, it starts really with our mentality and then going for, and then finding the resources. I agree. So. Um, so you break down, you, so one of the things that you do well is you break down traditional real estate investing barriers here in the U S but how about, you know, over the years, a lot of, a lot of foreigners have bought a lot, have bought real estate in the U S right. How do you help those who want to invest here or who are outside the U S or those who are in the U S who want to look and start like building, you know, investments overseas? How do you, how do you break down those geographic barriers as well as the you know our barriers? When we launched our MVP, our minimum viable product at the end of last year, which consisted of a, an asset outside of Charlotte and that we tokenized and we each token was $31. I have to say the most rewarding thing or one of the most rewarding things as a founder and CEO of this project was the number of people who spontaneously wrote on Twitter or on Discord, hey, I'm in an economist in Argentina, or I'm a cab driver in Jaipur, India, you know, and I now own real estate in the US of A, right? Oh, like, I, I never thought I'd own real estate in the US. And you look at 
some of these countries. My wife is from Turkey. Okay. We got married 12 years ago. When we got married, it was a dollar fifty, sorry, 1.5 lira to the dollar. Two months ago, it was 18 lira to the dollar. Okay. Today it's 27 lira to the dollar, right? So if you had your money in lira, you've lost, I don't know what the math is off the top of my head, 95% of your purchasing power, right? But being able to park your money in a safe and trusted way outside the US in a totally legally compliant manner through platforms like Bonfire, I think is a game changer for the rest of the world. I really do. To your question about looking at it the other way around, how can Bonfire help projects outside the US? We're getting approached, not daily, but almost daily about projects in Dubai, Nicaragua, I mean, literally like all over the world. Um, you know, we're very, very, very judicious in the projects we do. We, we do a lot of due diligence on the sponsor. We do background checks on them. We do, um, we, we walk the sites. We, you know, we, we make sure that the asset, the business plan makes sense. We don't just look at the numbers of, of that the sponsors give us. We independently stress test them, make sure that the assumptions are validated, you know, because anyone can make a, a spreadsheet look good, right? But like, do the numbers really check out from an independent perspective? And we just haven't been able to get comfortable with some of these other jurisdictions and under, you know, and frankly, we haven't spent the time and money to understand the intricacies of their securities laws and things of that nature. But a lot of the actors that we that have brought us deals, I just haven't had the professional rigor and, and maybe they're used to getting money quicker from other people. I don't know, but they just haven't met our standards. So we're not going to ever put anything on the platform that we don't believe in. And, and, and one of the ways that we're very different than some of the other crowdfunding real estate sites out there, I think this is actually really important to know. And it plays into your question about in, 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 uh, international projects is like all of our competitors, as far as I know, get paid by sponsors or operating, like, like if someone is raising money for a real estate project and they go to you know, our competitor platforms, those competitors are getting a commission, a, li a listing fee and a success fee for successfully placing the money. We don't, because we don't want to have a conflict of interest. We don't want to have to feel like we have to put substandard projects on our platform, right? They have to be good enough that we'd want to invest ourselves into them, right? So some, some, someone from the Middle East who could have a huge project and, and say, oh, well, we'll give you a 5% commission to put it on the Bonfire platform. It's like, no, that's not our business model. Sorry. Like we have to actually want to invest in it. And for us to want to invest in it, we have to feel very comfortable about the group who's putting it together, the entity structure, the local laws, the actual piece of real estate, the other types of real estate in that market, you know, the demand drivers, what other supplies coming online. I mean, there's a lot that goes into putting a project on our platform. So we haven't found anything that's passed our muster yet, internationally yet. Got it. Makes sense. Um, so you mentioned earlier, you said Warren Buffett is calling people in crypto scum of the earth. And then you also said that your platform offers a safe alternative, right? So you have a lot of anti-crypto people, anti-crypto movements. Um, you know, I forget the name of it. Choke Point 2.0 included in that. All over the world. But they're focused mainly on DeFi, Bitcoin, stable coins, Tether, stuff like that. 
you don't really see a tax against real estate, right? Why has real estate seemingly gotten, I think it's gotten a pass, right? And why could those opportunities that you offer, you know, be considered really, you know, good alternatives? Um, What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that where we are with crypto reminds me a lot of the late 90s, you know, with the birth of the internet, birth of the mainstream internet, I should say, where you had amazing companies that started, right? Um, you had eBay, you had you had Amazon and, 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 and companies that would, would last a long time, but you also had a lot of frivolous companies. You had pets.com with a market cap at one point bigger than GM and, and Ford with no sales, right? Like, you know, and, and, and unfortunately with the birth of crypto and, and, and sort of the rise of the last several years, there's been a number of, you know, unscrupulous actors who have pulled, you know, done red pulls, right? You know, everyone on this freaking call on this pod, you know, who's listening knows this already, right? Celsius, Luna, um, you know, SBF, et cetera. And so like, I totally get why people's trust is shaken and while there is a lot of FUD and negativity towards crypto, like I get it because there's been so much BS and so many founders who have created projects just to put out some BS, you know, quote unquote utility coin token. And they, you know, and they, everyone else gets held the bag and they flee off to, I don't know, some other country. And, you know, just like the evolution of any technology, it's going it, to, you know, good foundational technologies, which come along every I don't know, decade or so, maybe, maybe more, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you think about the internet, you think about the birth, the rise of mobile, you know, I think blockchain is the sort of next layer of the internet. Um, you know, it, it, it's going to evolve based upon how people are using it. And what we're doing, it's asset backed tokens, right? These tokens are backed by tangible assets. They're not frivolous. They're not hypothetical value. And I'm not, you know, I have no, I own NFTs. I have no issues with other types of tokens and and coins. It's just, I think for us, it's like very, very tangible what a token represents. And because they're asset backed, you know, I think people are are able to see that they're different than other types of tokens. Um, You know, and the more that we as founders of these projects can really try to, you know, be available to answer questions and, 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 and deal with people's skepticisms around, around crypto, and around blockchain, the more we can demystify what this technology is and how it's being deployed. I wasn't going to ask you about this, but you said the magic word. You said NFTs and what goes along with NFTs is also the metaverse, right? And there is, you know, real estate in the metaverse, right? Um, but it's not actual tangible assets. So what do you see as the role of NFTs and the metaverse in the real estate, digital, the blockchain future? Do you see it working together? Do you see one going forward and one dying off? What do you, what do you, what do you envision occurring with these NFTs and metaverse in conjunction with real estate? Man, I've been so so wrong in the past about predicting the future. And I'll tell you what I mean. In 2011, I was in, 10 or 11, I was in London and I was at this place called the Impact Hub. And this is like, it's like we work before there was we work for social entrepreneurs. And this guy was telling me about this virtual phantom currency. And I was listening to this thing and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
And he goes, but it's only, you know, $10, just, just buy a hundred dollars worth, you know? And I was like, no, you know, and back then a hundred bucks, you know, meant more to me than it does now. And he was talking about Bitcoin, right? So like, you know, the metaverse and where this is all going to go, I don't know. I'm very skeptical. So real estate within games, very interesting, right? But the metaverse as a, you know, I used to play Second Life 20 years ago. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical at some of the valuations of digital property. Um, it seems a lot of hype, but, you know, look, younger people are adopting this technology and, and how people resonate with it and find meaning and, and what direction they take it in. I can't, I don't know how that's going to go. And I'd be, I'd be foolish as a founder to just dismiss it. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of real world applications that I find personally compelling with real estate in the metaverse, but I'm also not a huge gamer. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. I need to talk to some more people about gaming, <laughs> see what's going on there, you know? Um, but I guess you get this, I guess you get to sell real estate as part of the games. Right. Okay. Um, wow. Well, this has been a, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. It was fun. I enjoyed talking to you and, and I learned, you know, a lot today. So um, my last question, I think we passed on it earlier because I went out of order. <laughs> it was how can people find out more information about you, about your company, about what you do? How can they start to invest? How can they do that? Visit us at bonfire.capital. Um, create an account. I think we only ask a couple questions. It's free. It takes like 30 seconds. Um, you know, I'm fully doxxed. Find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. My handle's, you know, Joshua Kagan. Um or email me at joshua at bonfire.capital. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Jamil. I really appreciate your time and your questions and uh, have a great rest of the day.